This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, everyone. This is your producer, Jemmy, with episode number 1922, a best of. The gang is out today, so we are rolling things back to May 5th, 2016, when it was all about the Kentucky Derby, including history, trivia, and archival interviews. Listen in. The sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn. You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Microphase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Microphase vitamin and mineral supplement is a low-calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. What good special Thursday morning to you, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings from Phoenix, Arizona. And you're listening to a special Derby in History preview on Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 4th, episode 1422, brought to you today by our listeners, the auditors. Good morning, Horse World. Kentucky Derby in 1937. 103 Colts nominated for this one. 20 go postward, headed by number one War Admiral, a good one with Charlie Kurtzinger. He's the eight to five favorite, and he's a little bit fractious at the gate. Settle down there, War Admiral. We're ready. <laughs> 20 of them coming out of there, and heel fly breaks on top, but the Admiral's out of early trouble. Charlie Kurtzinger sends them up as they come through the stretch for the first time. Now they move around the turn. The leader. War Admiral, two and a half for three. Who can catch him? Pompoon says I can. He drives up on the outside into second place in the final quarter. Here they come into the stretch. It's War Admiral. The crowd is screaming. Pompoon is on second. Three sixteenths of a mile to go. It's War Admiral, two lengths. Pompoon's under left-handed whipping, doing his best. But he's not catching the Admiral yet. They're in the final sixteenth. And on top it's War Admiral with Pompoon on the outside. But they're waving the stick. Charlie Kurtzing is waving the stick at the Admiral. He's drawing away. He's an easy winner. And here comes the finish. War Admiral much the best with Pompoon second. The camera highlights in the world of sports. 
and they're away. Pounding down the straightaway past the stand, the crafty maneuvering of jockeys raiding high-strung thoroughbreds in the run to the turn. Dispose leading the pack out in front by a length and a half. Porter's cap, Ruth Pear, Odd Booth, and Robert Morris closely bunched behind the flying leader. Well away, betting favorite eased smartly by jockey Eddie R. Carroll in the tight going at the time. For Jockey R. Carroll now, there looms a critical moment when Whirlaway, number four, heads for the stretch turn. His dangerous habit of going wide, but R. Carroll knows his mount, and with canny skill and a master's touch, guides the chestnut cone-awaited realization of a cherished hope when Whirlaway is acclaimed $61,000 winner in America's greatest run for the roses. Citation, a hard-charging thoroughbred ridden by Eddie Arcaro, came from eight lengths back to overtake Coal Town and win the 1948 Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs. Secretary throws his head a bit. And they're off. The leaders as they come for the head of the stretch. They're at the head of the stretch and Sam is the leader. He leads it by a length. Secretary is in the center of the racetrack and driving. Jackie Green now drops back. Coming on a bit is Forgo, our native on the outside. Now and then the stretch, it's Secretariat. Secretariat on the outside to take the lead. Sham holding in second. It's Secretariat moving away, he has it by two and a half. Sham, then on the outside, our native. At the wire, it's going to be Secretariat. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. That give you goosebumps or what? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> we are so excited to be here with you today on this special Thursday episode of Horses in the Morning. Jamie is here and we're going to we're, we're going to give you be, be giving you two days of coverage here of the Derby. So if you're not into racing at all, just uh, we'll see you next Monday. But if you are, then if you're kind of a, a, a fan or even a part-time fan, like I am, Jamie's a full-time fan, I'm a part-time fan, we're happy that you're here. Today is going to be a special Derby history episode where we talk about some history, some facts and figures, we play a little sound, we maybe even bring back some of the history of the Horses in the Morning show from the and past. You've got me doing a pop quiz, which just, I'm like, my armpits are sweaty. Just thinking about a <laughs> test I have to take in an hour Every against year our listeners. Don Deans, one of our auditors and listeners, go up against Jamie in a trivia challenge. And I got bad news for both of you. Uh, is uh, Jamie or Jennifer made up the questions this year? So you're Rumble. both screwed. <laughs> just, just, you're going to be ridiculous. Yeah, you don't even have a chance. It's like, if you get one, you're going to be lucky. Uh, but we nice, <laughs> but that's what we have planned tomorrow. We'll spend the day looking at this year's race today. We're spending the day looking at the Derby and history. There, you know, I'm fascinated by history. Jamie is and Jennifer. We're all fascinated by history. And we just think that, you know, this is one of the major events in the horse world since the late 1800s. It has been. And we want to look back at some of the things. Maybe some things that we might have touched on before. If you're a new listener, you won't have heard them. But we also are going to share some interviews from the past that we did that that meant a lot to us. So that's all coming up on today's special episode. But first, let's talk about last night. For the first time, I think, in years, Jennifer and I actually watched the draw for this year's Derby, where they pick, they pick numbers and they figure out who's going to go in what hole in the gate. And did you get a chance to watch it? 
I did. I, you know, I don't think I've ever watched that on TV. And so it was really interesting to, to see it because it's funny, like people, people were cheering and it's just like a total random draw. Some guy picks a sheet of paper with a name on it. And the other guy like has a little ball and it comes in a cup. Yeah, And I remember, I thought it was funny. (laughs) I remember in 50 to one back then they could, it was like they drew the name and then the people had like a minute to get up there and to put the tag on where they wanted. So I don't know if the movie was wrong or they just changed it or what, but how that was a little think, surprising to how me. How do you think the, the Vanna White lookalike got the job to be the little carrier up to the front and put the little yeah. signs up? <laughs> exactly. Somebody's That's daughter, a, I, the track's daughter. I don't you know, know, I was watching it with Lucas and all he kept going, 14, pink. <laughs> 14, 15, blue. And so he just kept saying the name, the colors that were with the numbers. And so it was actually interesting to him too, because he like loved, loves colors and numbers and that kind of stuff. So, but he kept going, no more horses, no more horses. You don't want to watch any more horses. I was like, listen, we're going to stop Paw Patrol for 30 seconds and mama's going to watch something. Oh yeah, you got, hey kid, you got four days of horses coming up. Yeah, watch out. And uh, so, yeah, Chad actually left for training. So I am going to be kind of solo with the kid watching the Derby and I'm not going to listen to no more horses. So he may get the iPad. Watch it on the iPad. <laughs> Go in the Mama's got to watch play. it. Go play. Go, <laughs> Go outside and play with the chickens. <laughs> Go swim by yourself. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. I got a race to trampoline. watch. You kind of can lock them in the trampoline. So throw them <laughs> in there for a couple hours. <laughs> Exactly. Well, well the, the the races and the, the the numbers are are you know people have their opinions on what they like and no no trainer is ever going to say oh this is terrible I hate the spot except for maybe one and I had to laugh because there's never been a horse to ever win the Kentucky Derby we're talking a hundred plus years there's never been a horse to ever win the Kentucky Derby out of the seventeen spot. Did you realize that? Yeah, and I also saw the trainer that got the 17 spot, and I was hey. wondering what he had to say about that. Oh, you know what? When they when they cut to him, he just kind of laughed and shook his head. Uh, 17 went to more spirit, Bob Baffert and Gary Stevens, <laughs> and they're going off at 12 to 1, so it's not like – it's just a weird numbers thing. Um but I do know that people are saying a lot of the speed is on the outside. It's going to be two different races. Uh, do you want me to go over the, yeah, maybe the, the num- highlights of the top ones and where they're, where they're sitting? Okay. Well, we've got, let's see, some of the ones that are the lowest odds is creator. And he's at the number three hole. We've got gun runner is coming out of the five spot. Um, we do have a couple of 50 to ones, uh, which, you know, we love 50 to one. Because the one has an interesting name, Trojan Nation. Now, is that named after the condom? Uh, do we know? <laughs> do you know what, Glenn? I I actually am going to make you super happy because tomorrow I'm going to I'll tease you with it now. But tomorrow I have a list of every one of the horses and how they got their name. So it wasn't You're- condom. You're going to be so happy. No, um, actually, the owners, Aaron Sones and Julie Gilbert, husband and wife, both graduated from UCLA. Uh, but in honor of Gilbert's late father, Morty, they named him Trojan Nation. That's the, the his favorite team, the rival Southern California team. You know, my so, story would have been better for all the B-roll they do on Saturday. 
Yeah, I know. No, but we can't go into that <laughs> we here. We could have been showing the Trojan plant and, you know, they would have been interviewing employees. And mine, mine was much we, well, we made our money making condoms. So we just figured, no, we're taking over the nation. No, so tomorrow I'll have you a he's list for you. going to be a hell of a stallion someday. Just saying. No, he's going to be terrible. Oh, that's honestly. true. Yeah, you know, he's covered up. All right, let's um, go on from that. <laughs> really interesting to nice see list. that. Yeah, well, Nyquist is coming out of the 13 spot, which I think is really good. I think he wanted a little bit further outside. Doug O'Neill did, but Nyquist is coming out of the 13 and his rival Mohamed is coming out of 14. So those two are next to each other. What I did think was interesting, and I didn't know this because I'm not that familiar with the number eight horses and the horse named Lonnie. Oh, the Japanese one? it's the Japanese horse and he's run in Japan and he's run in Dubai and he's run in UAE and different uh, places across the pond. And I guess he's a total nightmare at the starting gates and incredibly unpredictable when the gates open. And they were saying that the number seven horse and the seven, and the number nine horse Oscar nominated and Destin have the worst draw. Cause they have to be next to that guy. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? He's that guy. <laughs> yep. Uh, exaggerator is number 11. We've got Majesto at 18 more spirit, which is another Bob Baffert horse. Uh, that's the 17. Sorry. That's the Bob Baffert horse. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I just, you know, it's so not going to be taping it. Tape the show behind it. Because if that horse has trouble at the gate, we could go long. So I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's going to be interesting because I think that, you know, last year I really, really uh, thought An American Pharaoh was going to win. But I picked another one uh, just because I thought I'm not going to go with the favorite because I really liked American Pharaoh. And this year I'm like, screw it. I think Nyquist is going to win. That's my prediction. And I'm not going to pick a second to go first like I did last year because I'm just going to stick with who I think is going to win. And you know, what's interesting is Nyquist has is undefeated. He's seven for seven and the last horse to ever go into the Kentucky Derby undefeated and win was a horse named Seattle slew. So I'm sticking to my program here. I'm going to have to pick one of the long shots like I do every year. So I'll have to really think about that. I'll tomorrow. give you, I'll give you the names tomorrow and what the names mean. And then we'll let you pick. All right, then I'll let me pick by name, which is how I always do it. Well, thank you for that. We'll be talking a lot more about this year's, uh, as we get into the show tomorrow. And we have some special guests that are going to be trackside, uh, tomorrow too. So that should be fun. Well, let's yeah. first go back in time, all the way back to the beginning of the Kentucky Derby, and I have a little bit of audio for you that describes how that went. Horse racing in Kentucky is rich in history, dating back to 1789 when the first race course was laid out in Lexington. It was almost 100 years later in 1875 that Churchill Downs officially opened and began its tradition as the home of the Kentucky Derby. While traveling in England and France in 1872 and 73, 26-year-old Colonel Meriwether Lewis Clark devised the idea of a Louisville Jockey Club for conducting race meets. Upon his return from Europe, Clark began development of his racetrack, which would serve to showcase the Kentucky breeding industry. The track would eventually become known as Churchill Downs. 80 acres of land approximately three miles south of downtown were leased from Clark's uncles, John and Henry Churchill. For his inaugural race meet, Clark created three major stakes races, the Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks, and Clark Handicap. 
all modeled after three premier races in England, the Epsom Derby, Epsom Oaks, and the St. Ledger. The track formally opened May 17, 1875, with four races scheduled. The winner of the first race was Bonaventure. However, the winner of the day's featured event, the Kentucky Derby, was a three-year-old chestnut colt named Aristides. A new grandstand was unveiled in 1895, topped by two spires. They came to be known as the Twin Spires, a simple architectural element, and would become the symbol of Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Derby. As the Kentucky Derby grew in popularity, so did the racetrack. Since opening in 1875, Churchill Downs has continued to evolve, undergoing many renovations while embracing the future of horse racing. But as thousands visit these hallowed grounds each year, the history traditions, and mystique of Churchill Downs remain true as one of the most legendary horse tracks in the world. Well, well there you go. So there's a little bit about the history. I thought it was interesting because you'll recognize the name of Lewis Clark. This was Meriwether Lewis Clark. He was the grandson of William Clark of the famed Lewis and Clark expedition that everybody learned about in high school, right? So In fourth grade, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So he was the grandson there, and it was his traveling in Europe that made him realize that, hey, they have all those cool races over there. We need some cool races over here. So he mm-hmm. started the Louisville Jockey Club, and he started that jockey club with the help of John and Henry Churchill. They were his uncles, and that is who put up the money, and then, of course, it became known as Churchill Downs. But that's how Churchill Downs got the name, was the help of his uncles, uh, John and Henry Churchill. Um, There were a total of 15 three-year-old thoroughbred horses that ran a mile and a half on that first day. They estimated the crowds in 1872, uh, or in yeah, in 1872, to be 10,000 spectators. That's So they really drew crowds. It was obviously something that everybody wanted to see. And, of course, we didn't have TV or radio back then. So you have I was going to say, I want, the, I want the 1875 Aristides audio. Yeah, Let's I go. know. I know. Well, um, yeah, it was 1875. Sorry. Yep, so that was first Kentucky. I, there is none. <laughs> there were actually yeah. the first audio that was recorded and actually saved. It wasn't until the 30s, 1930s. And we'll have a little bit of that for you today. But one of the things I found interesting that's talked about a little bit, but not a lot, is that back in when, when the Kentucky Derby started and racing in America then, that 13 of the 15 riders in the first Kentucky Derby were African Americans. And those were the years, if you, if you remember your history, they were the years immediately following the Civil War. And black jockeys dominated horse racing. They were pretty much the only ones in horse racing back in the late 1800s. They were the, they were basically the, first black sports superstars uh, was Mm -hmm. back in the late 1800s, and they developed quite, you know, reputations. They were talked about in the newspapers. Uh, And black black jockeys, African-American jockeys, won 15 of the first 28 runnings of the Kentucky Derby. Um, And the reason for that is that, if you think about history, southern plantation owners put their slaves to work in the stables. They were the ones that cared for the horses. Well, they also rode the horses to keep them in shape. They groomed them. They they trained the horses, and they really became keen horse people. And that's how they ended up becoming involved in racing. It It was the southern plantation owners and the wealthy that owned the horses, and they needed somebody to ride them in the races. So uh, their slaves... 
slaves at that point became the jockeys. Now, in after after the slaves were freed, what happened was many of them stayed with with their owners and ended up working for their owners and then many of them went on to become their own trainers and actually own their own farms. Uh, that uh, I, the Aristides owner was written by an African American and was trained by a former slave uh, known for his superb superb horsemanship. His name was Ansel Williamson, and Williamson. What, was, what I found, yeah, what I found interesting about that was Williamson was sold from owner to owner like a horse. That's right. Oh, just that. I'm so sorry, history about what we've done to people and animals, but it just so he was sold around and around. And after he was emancipated, he continued to work for his former master and he would go on to train the 1877 Derby winner yep. and, and have his own stable. It was he, awesome. Yep. He ended up with his own ra- racing stable back then. Um, you know, baseball drew the line and said nobody of color in here. And that was till 1947 that African-Americans uh, went on or, uh, Jackie you know, Robinson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, got back into baseball. Now, this did, it was it was the late 1800s, but by the early 1900s, then segregation started to come into play, and a lot of politics. So, black riders were banned from major racetracks after 1904, including Churchill Downs. So, they had really started the support sport for the first 30 years, and then they were banned, and black participation dwindled, and no African American rode in the race between 1921 and, and 2000. So there was a long gap there before we ever saw an African-American jockey again. But so there's just kind of a little bit of the history of the African-Americans so in the sport. The first Triple Crown winner was Sir Barton in 1919. And I have some sound here. We don't have sound of the actual race, but this was a piece put together by ESPN's Jewels of the Triple Crown. And it was, it's, it's one of my favorite pieces to listen to because Sir Barton was a bit of a jerk. It's <laughs> the ultimate challenge, and in the long history of the Triple Crown, it's only been accomplished 11 times. Sir Barton was the first Triple Crown winner, but no one knew it until the three races were first called that by Charles Hatton many years later. Sir Barton simply won three races called the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. He was a sore-footed grouch who ignored other horses and hated all humans except his groom, Toots Thompson, not the stuff of which stars are made. He was ridden by Johnny Loftus, whose expectations were not high on Derby Day. Loftus, a member of the Jockey's Hall of Fame, was a master of pace, but Sir Barton at that point was a maiden and never won a race. Owner J.K.L. Ross, a Canadian, brought him to Louisville as a rabbit for his stablemate, Billy Kelly. Trainer Guy Bedwell specialized in making silk purses out of Sal's ears. But Sir Barton was a challenge. The plan really was for Sir Barton to go out fast and burn out the other contenders, including the favorite, Eternal, allowing Billy Kelly to come on strong at the end and take the trophy back to Canada. And so it looked for most of the race. But Sir Barton didn't quit. The horse who had finished 15th in the hopeful as a two-year-old burned out the favorite all right. Eternal finished 10th, but he also beat his stablemate by five lengths and won the derby. So they decided to try him again only four days later in the Preakness at Pimlico in Baltimore. 
Many thought his win was a fluke, but with only three days rest, Sir Barton took on Eternal again and nine other more rested horses, and he made believers out of the doubters. Sir Barton took the lead early, once again held on to it all the way, and beat Eternal by a solid four lengths. Ten days later, he won the Withers. No doubters now. There were only two challengers this time in the Belmont. He whipped them handily to complete his sweep and went on to become Horse of the Year. The next year, he was matched against the new star, Man o' War, in what was billed as the race of the century. In fact, it was no race at all. Man o' War destroyed Sir Barton, who never won another race and soon was retired. He lies today in this small park in Douglas, Wyoming. He was a failure at stud in Virginia and eventually stood at an Army remount station in Nebraska for a fee of five to ten dollars. A Douglas man bought him, and sometime after his death, the Junior Chamber of Commerce bought this inexpensive plastic likeness of a horse and buried Sir Barton beneath it. It wasn't much of a statue, they said, but it was all... There it is. That's Sir Barton. Uh, got cut off there at the end. Sorry about that. And I think, actually, Jennifer, that we have lost Jamie at this point. I think her internet was going out and now has totally gone. So, Bye-bye, Jamie. See ya. <laughs> I will try and get Jamie back here. But in the meantime, um, uh, Jennifer, if you could just tell Jamie to maybe reboot uh, her, her Skype would be... Uh, oh, her computer died. Computer died. There we Look go. Look at that. Well, we'll keep going here. You know, considered one of the best announcers of all times was a guy by the name of Clem McCarthy. Clem did a lot of the announcing back in the 19th. Well, he actually was the he was the first announcer to be recorded and then continued to announce for like 15, 20 See, years. That, that's an unfair advantage. The guys that have no recordings, like, how yes. can you say they're the best announcer? <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> well, and he, you know, he um, he also did boxing and he also did one of the most controversial calls of a Kentucky Derby of all time. And so what happened was uh, he was calling the race and people's the track was different back then. Right. The, the announcers didn't have these fancy booths. So the, everybody stood up to cheer. He couldn't see the track. So what happened was the horses that were in first and second switched places when he couldn't see the track. So he called the wrong wi wi winner during the race. And it became this big controversy, and it finally was explained that they just switched places. He didn't know it, and right at the end of the race, he called the winner, and he couldn't see. <laughs> he couldn't oh, see that's it. funny. That's kind of like that uh, count. Was was it uh, Larry Kalmus did the one in the fog? Yes, exactly. Just taking a wild yeah, guess. Yeah, this was human fog at this point. It was human fog. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Clem is also Clem McCarthy, the announcer. He, he you heard him earlier in the show for, uh, when we did the opener for War Admiral. That was a 1937 Call of War Admiral. He has this very gravelly, gruff voice. But he is most well-known for a certain call of a certain match race between Seabiscuit <laughs> and War Admiral. Let's hear just the end of that match race so you can hear Clem's voice. Inside, Bionic with War Admiral second. That big throng dashing across the track, across the infield there, coming for this fence. They've come into the stretch here in just a second, and they're head and head as they head for that home lane. Watch for them now as they turn into the stretch, head and head, both horses under a drive. This is a real horse race, just what we hope we get. They're head and head, and both jockeys driving. It's the best horse from here in. They've got 200 yards to come. It's horse against horse, both of them driving. Seabiscuit leads by a length. 
Now Seabiscuit by a length and a half. Wolf has put away his whip. Seabiscuit by three. Seabiscuit by three. Seabiscuit is the winner by four lengths. There you go. Oh, my God. I, get, you, I just heard 30 seconds of that, and I have goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> so that's Clem McCarthy. He died in 1962. He was 79 years old and spent most of his life in radio. Uh, doing radio wow. calls and boxing calls, he did both. But he was best—he was most well known for that match race between Seabiscuit and War Admiral, and also it was amazing yeah. that Gary Stevens could ride back then and then ride, you know, these days. Wait, what? no, that was George Wolf. Gary Stevens played George Wolf. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, think, I was going to say. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's a little off I think Gary Stevens, you know, when he was like <laughs> letting him see eye to eye and then he let him go. I mean, it was awesome. So that was you kind- don't cry in that part of the movie. You have no heart. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, um, the Kentucky Derby trophy is made out of 56 ounces of 14 and 18 karat gold and is two feet tall. So uh, the other thing is when the track was opened, uh, when when the when Churchill Down was actually opened, the first race was ever won by a horse by the name of Bonaventure, Uh, and it was then the Kentucky Derby, as we mentioned in that one package, was uh, Aristides, I think is how they say it. The phrase "Run for the Roses" was coined by a New York sports columnist, Bill Corum. And so he was writing. He just started calling to run for the roses because they were giving away roses at the end. Well, old Bill, who was writing uh, in New York at that time, later became the president of Churchill Downs. So it's appropriate that he was the one that named run for the roses. Um, I I have a list of like the 10 things you didn't you may not know about the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Um. Now, I, I think we might have been over these before, but so you might know them. But for those who don't know, the Kentucky Derby, history-wise, is the only Triple Crown race that has run consecutively since it began. I believe it was stopped for a while at the Preakness and the Belmont because of anti-gambling legislation. And I, I don't even think it had to do with the war. So the Kentucky Derby, like, kept going. It did not stop. You know, it was interesting about the beginning, too. They did have paramutual betting at Churchill Downs when the track first opened in the late 1800s. But the bookies in town were so pissed that their business was going away that they went to Merriweather. They went to Clark and said, you have to take the gambling out of the track because we're losing business. And they did. And gambling wasn't brought in until the early 1900s again at the track. Interesting, interesting. The biggest underdog to ever win the Kentucky Derby. Now, I, I don't remember. I, I, this might not be updated anymore, but I heard th- that it was Donnerale at 91 to 1 in 1913. Has there been no, any is, bigger I, long shots? I, I read that today. That still apparently stands. 91 gotcha. to 1 almost, you know. When you see one of those, just put $2 on it because that paid off at one. You put a $2 bet on that horse. And by the way, he won $184.90 for $2 bet. Put five on it. What the heck? (laughs) Um, The uh, still the fastest winning time when we heard this already was Secretariat. It's still 159 and four. That is a hundred plus years. Secretariat is still the man. Um, 
the Kentucky Derby is actually the youngest of the Triple Crown races, even though it's the longest running. It's the youngest one that Churchill was made, I think, after the Preakness and, and Belmont uh, places were, were built. Um, <clears throat> the slowest winning time, you know, it's supposed to be t- the fastest two minutes in sports. Some of the ones have finished at about two minutes and 30 seconds, but Kingman in 1912 one at about three minutes, two minutes and 52 seconds. But that makes me wonder, was that one of the days where it was longer? Was it? They yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it, that's a long time. <laughs> it's like, now, we have this race. Was it pouring wanna, down rain? Was it snowing? <laughs> I know. They ran. It was Did like, they stop everybody and take a backwards. snack break? Maybe they needed some <laughs> alcohol on the way. I don't know. Everybody turn around and back up for (laughs) the mile and a quarter. Um, The most money ever wagered on the race was I'll have another. And it was wagered. It was $133 million on the I'll have another race. And he won at 12 to one right out of the favorite Bodie Meister. There was the record crowd of 165,307 people. And we actually have that race. So let's take a listen to it. Oh, wait a minute. 2012? 2012. Yep, here we go. All in line and ready for the start. They're off in the Kentucky Derby. And as expected, Trini Berg had a great start. Gemologist is also out quickly. Hansen is in between horses, and Bodie Meister is down on the inside. And now Bodie Meister's ahead of Trini Berg. Bodie Meister and Trini Berg will lead that charge to the first turn at Churchill Downs. Danny Longlegs, Hansen. Oh, Hansen's hard to control early. Gemologist is fifth on the outside. I'll have another is next. And Captain Burrell is right on the rail with Take Charge Indy as they move into the turn. And then it's Danny Knows Best on the far outside liaison. Creative pause, optimizer along the rail. Between those two is Dullahan. And then it's Alpha, followed by Saber Cat. Rousing Sermon to the inside. Perspective went the day well. Union Rags is third last early. He is 18th onto the backstretch ahead of Dunn Talking and the trailer El Pedrino. 45 and 1. Oh, they're flying up the backstretch. And Bodie Meister's in front. He's on front by a length and a half. Trinneberg on the outside is second by another two lengths. Hansen is in third. Take charge. Indy gets that rail trip in fourth as they head for the turn. He's five lengths off the lead. Gemologist is next. Then I'll have another. Liaison is on the outside. Union Rags is down at the rail. He's always in traffic. Union Rags in a lot of trouble on the far turn. He's boxed in. Bodie Meister on the lead as they round the far turn. Trinneberg is second. Hansen is third. I'll have another. Creative cause moves up on the far outside. But it's Bodie Meister at the top of the stretch. And Bodie Meister's got a five-length lead. I'll have another on the outside. Now is moved into second. And then down toward the outside. Creative cause. Bodie Meister holding on to the lead. I'll have another on the outside. It's closing in. I'll have another college. Bodie Meister. Dullahan on the far outside. Here's the wire. I'll have another. That's one the Kentucky Derby. And then it was Bodie Meister. Dullahan. And went by- Can we 
just declare Larry Thomas the best race caller? I know he's not dead yet, but can we just declare him the best race caller of all time ever? Dude, he's so good. (laughs) And he just signed a contract for another five years. Screw the horses. Screw the race. That guy is good. (laughs) God, he's so good. So good. It was such an exciting race, too. I mean, you just like listening to it. I'm like, wait. Every race sounds exciting. It could be 25 lengths. And he's there screaming at the end. (laughs) I was just like, I'm like, wait, Bodemeister didn't win. It's like he sounds, and then it's like, oh my God. I love that guy. I know. I know it. Uh, last fact before we get to uh, another uh, race or actually an interview uh, the most wins by a jockey in Derby history is five, and that's Eddie Arcaro and Bill Hartack are both tied with five wins apiece, but they were spread out. Did you know that if um, Victor Espinosa wins? the Kentucky Derby this year, it will be the first time a jockey has ever won three in a row. And he's right. Oh, really? Oh, so, and he's riding Whitmore, right? The, uh, 20 oh. to one. Yep. It, 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 he's, he's not even a part of the conversation, but you can't, can't th- count that guy out. I mean, my God, he's going to break out of that gate, like gangbusters and try to get to the front. I would imagine. So is there a certain he, jockey he that it. sticks out for being missing after retiring? I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Well, there's no Calvin. No Calvin. That's right. No Calvin Burrell. I, I'm year. surprised he wasn't like, you know what? I'll just do one more. I think Calvin's one just more done, apparently. <laughs> just yeah, like, I'm he, out of here. He walked uh, into the track and he's like, yeah, I retire right I retired, now. I retired. I'm Bye. gone. See, I'm going to spend my that's money like, fishing. <laughs> that's the equivalent of walking into your job and be like, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? When you got what? He has to have, what, $20 million in the bank? He probably can comfortably do that. Yeah, have you seen his wife? He's got twenty million in the bank. Yeah, isn't she gorgeous? Yeah, ridiculous. And she's like two feet taller than him and a supermodel. So, so there's a reason he wants more time. <laughs> she's earning that money. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible to say. I'm such a That'd jerk. That'd be a comment okay. I'd make. You're such a guy. You really are. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, I didn't have to marry him. Uh, now we well we've got something really special. This is one of my. This kind of went down in the history oh, wait a of. Let me do a commercial first. So oh, okay. over the weekend at Rolex, we did we were there and we it was predicting rain really bad for Saturday. And I'm there in my sneakers because I am the only one apparently in the world that hasn't gotten tall boots yet. So yeah. I was like, oh, I got to get some tall boots before Saturday or I'm just going to be miserable all day. So we went and found Went around looking, you know, they have the Dewberries, which I cannot afford. <laughs> Just I was no. not going to spend $500 on boots. <clears throat> and they have men's, though. But a lot of the other companies do not have men's Dewberry knockoffs or, you know, that look like Dewberries. So I'm walking around, and we finally find a place that has men's. And albeit if it isn't Ovation Country Boots. Of the Ovation Country Boots, which Jennifer was wearing at the time we were out shopping. She's already wearing hers. You're wearing yours. Everybody's wearing theirs. But I didn't realize that they have men's sizes. So in their Rona boot, which kind of looks more manly than, than their, uh, some of their other boots, they actually go up to a 46. Now, that's European sizing. I am a 12, and there was a size above mine yet. And these things fit great i mean so i bought a pair only like 160 some bucks and i gotta tell you it was so jennifer thought it was cute because when we were out on saturday it was pouring down rain all day 
every puddle I found, I stepped in, I stomped around, <laughs> just like Scooter. I was there in the mud. I didn't walk around nothing. I was walking through everything. He was and like a two-year-old. I was. I was so cool that I could walk through everything and not get my feet wet. I was splashing, and my feet did not get wet at all. So I had a couple of guys ask me at the show, where did you get the boots for guys that weren't the Dewberries? And that's that's where I got them. They're the Ovation Country Boot. They're the Rona. They're available either on the Ovation website at OvationRiding.com or at other retailers as well. Or check your local store or your favorite yep. online retailer. And here, here's a, a shopping tip for fellas. Whenever you want to go shopping for your country boots, um, look at the sizing charts and look what European size uh, equals your American size because frequently the boxes are not labeled men's or women's or they're just la- generically labeled women's because that's the only sticker they have because European sizing doesn't designate men or women. So if you're a size 12 or so, likely in European sizing, you're going to be a 43 or 44 no, or something like that. 46. Yeah. So yeah. so look at that sizing chart. And when you go looking at your country boots, find a, a style that suits you. And then look at the UK sizing, the, the one that's going to be between 30 and 45. Go by that, not by that other little American sizing, because that's so going to be deceptive. What that means, Glenn, is you can go to Europe and buy a size 46 high heel because they're not specific. <laughs> the OvationRiding.com website, by the way, has a really good size chart that includes the men's uh, yes. uh, translation. Yep. So, like, I wore a 45, which w- actually was a men's 11, and th- they were, they fit perfectly, but they actually go up to a men's 12 or a 46 as well. So that, I just wanted to say, if you're looking for a men, if you're a guy looking for these kind of boots, uh, then go over to OvationRiding.com or your favorite retailer. You'll find them there. I loved them. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is I wore them all day Friday because I was sure I was going to get blisters. I was just convinced. And then I, I wore them all day Friday because I wanted to, I don't know, warm them up before I wore them all day Saturday. I know that didn't make any sense. But then I wore them all day Saturday, and I wore them two solid days, and we walked forever on Saturday. I didn't have one blister. I didn't have any blisters at all. So that I think that's the first pair of shoes I've ever bought where I didn't end up with a blister after walking that long. So they're really comfortable. I loved them. And I was one of the cool kids, finally. That was the most important <laughs> About time. About <laughs> time, took boss. took me uh, a lot of years. But now I'm one of the cool kids. OvationRiding.com. All right. Introduce our segment. Well, this is super exciting because it's one of the my favorite interviews I've ever done in my entire career, and it's when we got to sit down and talk to Miss Penny Chinnery. So uh, we're going to go into the fastest Kentucky Derby in history and then come straight out and we'll have our interview with Penny. <laughs> Secretary throws his head a bit. And they're off for the lead. On the inside, that's Angolite for the lead. On the outside, Shecky Green, Royal and Regal. Then on the rail, it's Restless Jet, followed by our natives. Up on the outside is Gold Bag. They're by the stands for the first time. Jackie Green is showing the way by a length and a half. Royal and Regal now being moved to the inside, looking for room. Goldbag is up on the outside. Then on the rail, it's Angolite, followed by Sham, our native, Restless Jet. It's My Gallant, then Forgo. 
On the outside, Navajo, followed by Secretariat, Warbuck, and finally, twice a prince. They're moving on the turn. The leader is Shecky Green, leading by two and a half lengths. Goldbag is second by a head. Sham now third on the outside by two lengths. Royal and Regal fourth. Two lengths then back to Angle Light in fifth. The Secretariat has made a sudden move and is now sixth. Then it's Restless Jet, our native, beginning to move up. Navajo, Forgo, and Warbucks beginning to move up, followed by My Gallant and Twice a Prince. They're into the turn and bunching for the lead with Shecky Green, still the leader by a half a length. On the outside and challenging is Sham, and he's now got a head in front. Now Shecky Green responds to the challenge, and those two are heads apart. Royal and Regal is third and holding on. Goldbag drops back. Secretariat is fourth and moving up on the outside and is now third and moving at the leaders as they come for the head of the stretch. They're at the head of the stretch and Sham is the leader. He leads it by a length. Secretariat is in the center of the racetrack and driving. Jackie Green now drops back. Coming on a bit is Forgo, our native on the outside. Now and they're in the stretch. It's sec Secretariat. Secretariat on the outside to take the lead. Sham holding in second. It's Secretariat moving away. He has it by two and a half. Sham, then on the outside, our native. At the wire, it's going to be Secretariat. He wins it by two lengths. Sham is second. Our native third by an inch. Forgo is fourth. Restless Jet is still. So very thrilled to have some incredibly special guests with us today. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here at my computer and directly above my head is a signed by Ronnie Turcotte photo, huge photo of Secretariat winning the Belmont. And on my bookshelf next to me is Secretariat's Meadow by Kate Tweedy. And we've now currently right now got John Tweedy and Mrs. Penny Chenery on the show to welcome you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this Penny and Red documentary. Uh, you know, it, it is such an honor because I'm such a fan of Mrs. Chinnery uh, and your horse and your life. You're a, such a classy woman and, and an empowering <laughs> woman. And it's, it's, it's just an honor to have you on the show this morning. I'm pleased to be here. Well, can you just, just imagine that all of this would happen because of a horse? Ah, uh, well, it certainly wasn't going to happen without him. Yeah, <laughs> well, obviously. Um, John, but tell a, us about a this. A horse like Secretariat was so powerful in so many ways that it's not surprising that his legacy has lived on. I I can't I can't agree with you anymore. And 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 John, tell us about this documentary that you got to do about your mom and this horse. Well, it's been a really fun, special experience for us as a family. We, of course, have uh, enjoyed Secretariat's relationship with his fans for many years, and uh, Mom has uh, had the opportunity to uh, meet with so many people who've been excited about him for a long time, and she's had the desire over time, and especially since the Disney movie came out several years ago, to uh, tell the story from kind of a more personal angle. And so uh, I've been making documentaries for a few years, and we decided to sit down and do a series of interviews. And, and of course, we have a, a wealth of 
family photos and uh, there were some archival film versions of the original races that had been in our family vault um, and had, uh, you know, the races themselves were recorded on videotape and some of the publicly available videotape is, um, uh, you know, it fades over over the years and we realized that some of the film prints of the of the key races that mom had in her archives were actually better quality uh, film prints of these events than than are publicly available, and so we decided that uh, you know it's really time to uh, make Mom's personal recollections available to the public and to and to release some of that archival material. So it's just been a great experience for me to work with all of that, and we're really excited about how it's coming out. And and uh, the other thing that we're really fortunate to to have is that uh, Diane Lane has agreed to narrate the film, and so it sort of brings <laughs> back some of the team that was involved in the Disney film, and so it's been great. Ms. Chenery, how has it been working with Diane Lane? Oh, I love her. Uh, we've become good friends, and even after the movie was shot and out, uh, she would sometimes call me on a Saturday night. She'd be out of town and lonely, and and uh, we've developed a, an. Uh, a personal relationship that's been just a joy. She's a wonderful gal. Well, in the pictures and photos and, and anything I've seen you, you guys together, you look like you're truly girlfriends. And it, it's nice to see. What was it like to see somebody who you've become friends with portray your life on the big screen like she did? Well, <laughs> um, I... During the film, uh, I had a couple of times to vi- visit the set, and so I I saw her portrayal as, as it was uh, uh, being filmed, and so uh, that shock, because <laughs> it really <laughs> is weird to see somebody <laughs> playing you, um, <laughs> had uh, sort of dissolved, and then. Uh, having a chance to uh, visit her and um, talk on the phone. Um, the fact that we've become friends is, is just a, a a bonus. And right. she is so perceptive as an actress. She's picked up my mannerisms and mm-hmm. uh, the cadence of my voice and... Um, although it's weird to see someone else, after a while, I think that is me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that must be just crazy to to see. How has how have things changed for you guys as a family since since the movie came out? I mean, obviously you've been in the horse world for forever, but to to since the movies come out, have things changed? In um, within the family, or um, with just I guess guess what I want to know is after seeing yourself in the movies and now with it being kind of the 40th anniversary of Secretariat's Triple Crown win, how much more prominent is your life in the spotlight? Well, 
Well, fortunately, I live in a, in um, Colorado, in Boulder, and they don't take me seriously. Uh, <laughs> I don't live a public life anymore, and that's a good thing. Well, and I would oh, just okay. add, I think that uh, Mom has never been quite out of the spotlight, and so the the, uh, the sort of renewed focus has been kind of a nice bonus because. Uh, She's been able to uh, meet with a new generation of fans who've been uh, uh, turned on to the movie. The, I think a new generation of, of uh, horse-crazy girls have seen that movie and learned about the story, and that's been a, a wonderful thing. Well, I, I, I was so proud of you, Mr. Chenery, when you pushed and pushed to have the Preakness time reviewed, and now Secretariat actually holds the record for the fastest Preakness, how how was that? How how incredible is that? Well, we always knew that there was something wrong with uh, the official time, and uh, but it took um, a lot of hard work, and uh, John was involved uh, with my business partner Leonard Lusky in. Uh, Will you describe the the uh, uh, mechanics of doing that, John? Well, it was fascinating. You know, the uh, a video videotape is actually a very precise timer because it's thirty frames per second. In fact, twenty nine point nine seven frames per second. And so, when you take the videotape and you match it exactly against uh, the, uh, the, the then-official record, it was very clear that Secretariat beat the record. So it was just a, com- uh, a process of uh, compiling that video evidence and giving the commissioners the, uh, the technical uh, confidence that, in fact, when you play out these frames of video, they add up to a very precise timing to within tenths of a second, and they could indeed um, say with certainty that he had beaten the record. So it was, it was just putting the evidence in front of them. The people who were in the video industry back in 1974 already knew this, but I think that the uh, the racing industry at that time was not ready to accept what the science of video was already able to prove even back then. But now I think we're certainly there, and and the the racing commission recognized that. Uh, that was fantastic. That was a that was a great day. Before we talk about the Secretary Festival, I have to just ask Mrs. Chenery one question, one personal question, and you, are you I mean, come on. Did you ever get? Did you ever get on Secretariat just for a second? Just throw your leg over him and, and ride him for a second. No, I didn't. Although I'm an experienced rider, I was not in very good shape in those days um, because it would have been such a tragedy if I did indulge my uh, fantasy. <laughs> and gone out, and he dropped his shoulder and dumped me, run <laughs> off and gotten hurt. Now that would be a real tragedy. So, oh uh, gosh! But also, well, he was a big, strong horse, <laughs> and uh, in in my prime, I would have been challenged to uh, stay on him. Oh so no! I, uh, and you know the, the movie portrays him as being uh, playful but docile. Well, he wasn't. 
he was a big, strong stallion um, with ideas of his own. If you went to the webbing of his stall and uh, he didn't care to have you there, he would he would nip. He'd say, get out of my face. And uh, No, I had much too much respect for him. And, and fear for my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that because I used to gallop racehorses and I never saw one as sweet as the horse in that movie. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> and and in, in the documentary, you'll probably see a slightly different secretariat because there's archival footage of him right uh, right after he was retired to stud. Uh, and you really do see how powerful... Um, and majestic he was, but also not a horse that you would hop on lightly. No, I'm sure not. Well, I'm glad you didn't get yourself hurt, Mr. Chinnery, by hopping on him. It's probably a good thing. It's so fantastic to talk to you guys. Our, our time is unfortunately up. I think I could talk to you forever. Actually, we do a, a show here on the Horse Radio Network called uh, Equestrian Legends. And Mrs. Chinnery, I hope someday you would consider to be part of that because you embody an equestrian legend and um, it would be an honor to have you on that show we'll we'll try to get in touch with your people and and talk to them about that but it's just been a total honor to have both you guys on the show i cannot wait to see the movie it is penny and red the life of secretariat's owners landlock films directed by of course her son john tweedy who has been kind enough to join us you guys i can't thank you enough for being on the show it's been a blast. Certainly has. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> An honor talking to you guys. Thank you very much. Well, there you go. That was uh, the interview that we did. And, uh, Jamie, you just, I, I love when you do these interviews because you are such a fan. It just comes out. <laughs> I just hate hearing myself. I'm such a geek. I'm just like, oh, my God. Okay. So, like, one time. But that's you. Like, I mean, that's why we all love you is you, you. There's nothing, I don't know what the word is, but there's nothing there that's fake. It is just the way it is. You love doing these, and and you could really tell that you were looking. I mean, we've had, I was thinking about when when I was listening to that, because I hadn't listened to that since day one, since we did it years ago. And we have the coolest job. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> We that was so incredible though. I mean, that was just one of those one of those moments that you just don't forget. And and I think that if you were to tell me, give me a short list of your favorite interviews, that would be on the top. And not because I did a wonderful job. I just because it was just such an honor to talk to her. And I've just been such a fan for so long. And and to hear her talk about the movie and the horse, I mean, it's just real. She's just real. So it was really exciting to do that interview. Okay, I'm continuing to geek out. So yeah, I'll leave a document. Documentary though called uh, what? What was the documentary called? Penny and Red. Well, yeah, that's what we're talking yeah, about. They were yeah, promoting, yeah. and I actually bought it. I still haven't watched I it, but I did. Seen it yet either. I gotta buy it. Yeah, I did buy it. So I'm now I'm now that we've revisited it, I'm gonna have to make Lucas watch more horses. <laughs> more horses. Well, we got to do something really cool when we were in Kentucky. We got to do a lot of cool things, but uh, we headed out. And to Adina Springs Farm, which is uh, about a half an hour drive from Lexington up near Paris, Kentucky. It is absolutely beautiful land up there. It's rolling, undulating hills, and everything's green as green could be. 
And we went to Adina Springs for a special mission, and that was to see Mucho Macho Man. Years and years and years ago, when the show first started, really, we started following a horse called Mucho Macho Man, and Jennifer was lucky enough to get the owners to come on and talk to us. This is before they became famous, too. And they came on and talked to us, and then they came back. Patty Reeves, the, it's Reeves Racing, Patty and her husband, Dean, Patty came back right before, two days before the Kentucky Derby and on the show with us. Well, last week when we were at the farm and got our picture taken with Mucho Macho Man, I posted it on my Facebook page right away. We were still there talking to him and I posted it. Well, Patty saw it right away and said, uh, Glenn the Geek, so glad you, you got to meet him. Hope you gave him plenty of hugs for me. Thanks. And then she and he wrote, was very snuggable, actually. Yeah. Like, he wasn't the secretariat. They, no. I mean, they were holding on to his face, face but he wasn't biting or anything. He's so beautiful. No, he was biting. Did you notice they all bite in their lead ropes? Everyone we saw was like chewing on their lead rope, but yeah, it's pacifier. Yeah, exactly. And he was great. I mean, we were all petting him and rubbing on him, and he didn't care. But then she wrote, and this is while we're still standing there, and I showed the people at Adina Springs, uh, uh, yeah, I showed the people yeah. at the farm this, and she wrote, reminds me of the time five years ago, just before the Kentucky Derby 2011, when we first came on your show. I put the Derby dress on for the phone interview just to feel the part. <laughs> Would you like to hear that interview? Oh my gosh, yeah. And then then let's play the um let's play that race out of it. Okay, sounds good. Here is Patty Reeves two days before the Kentucky Derby where much Mucho Macho Man ran. Good morning. That was awesome, you guys. <laughs> that was that was full. Yeah, and can you believe two days, twelve hours and two minutes until your horse is in the Kentucky Derby? No, I'm still pinching myself. It's great. Wow. It's just been such a oh. week. Well, you guys had an exciting day yesterday. You guys drew the 13th post yesterday. And, you know, most people would go, oh, 13. Why were you guys so excited about the number 13? Oh, well, it wasn't specifically the number 13. We wanted to be in that general area toward the outside. Mm -hmm. um, and if you were watching it, we were one of the last horses to, to get picked. So we were sitting there, you know, on pins and needles wondering would we get number one, would we get number 20? And, uh, you know, we, we had talked about it ahead of time, and we wanted to be in the middle to the outside. Uh, but the funny thing was, as we were sitting there, and that took forever. I mean, that made the Kentucky Derby seem like a piece of cake. The, um, <laughs> uh, one of our, our, our partners, um, Jim Culver, was sitting with me in the front row, and he kept saying to me, he said, Patty, I have a feeling we're going to draw 13. He said, but that's a good thing. I like that number. I said, okay. And he said it like three or four times loud enough that the people around us could hear it. And when it really happened, I think we were just all shocked. So it was great. <laughs> That's great. Wow. And I read, too, that these the, the number 13 is pretty special to your trainer, Kathy, too. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's her birthday, and I think her heart, I didn't get to talk to her about it, but um, her birthday, and then, of course, there was all kinds of connections. We counted the letters in Mucho Macho Man, and it's 13. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, we're we're just happy to get in that general area, and uh, and we feel like he's, you know, he'll. that's a great spot for him. So what was that like yesterday? I mean, I think every horse person associated with the Kentucky Derby, they kind of all pile in a room, and how does it work? 
Oh, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, everybody, you have to have a pass to get in. And when you get in there, there's just media cameras everywhere and it's live. And so you have to wait for commercial breaks. And um, it's neat. We have a host that's assigned to us by Churchill Downs, who sort of looks after us to be sure we get to, to where we're going and, you know, know where we're supposed to be. And our host has people. People, peeps. I have, we have one <laughs> one person, and he's a wonderful man. His name is Barry, and he's taken really good care of us. And um, he he guided us. He had seats held for Dean and I in the front row. So when he escorted oh, cool. us in, like as usual, as you get to know us better, we're we're always running a tad bit late. And so we got there, it's and he escorted us right that. to our seat in the front row. <laughs> oh, that's great. And for those who didn't see it, how does that work? Like, they draw your name and they draw a number together? Do you get just picked out of a hat? Um, they draw a number first, so they'll say post position number 13, and then they pull the, hat, the name of the horse out of another hat, and then they'll say Mucho Macho Man. So it's two separate oh. drawings. That is so great. I'm so excited for you guys. Uh, yeah, it's going to be... I mean, two days, holy cow, but uh, Dialed In came off as the Derby favorite, and, you know, there's a lot of rumors swirling around about Uncle Mo. What have you heard? You know, I I haven't heard a lot. When you're here, you're really focused in on your own team. We have so many guests here, so I, I haven't heard anything specifically about Uncle Mo or Dialed In, but the funny thing was the Dialed In folks were sitting right behind us last night for the draw, and they... I. I I couldn't believe it because the lady said it's going to be number eight and she was. And I just, and then it happened to us and our partner said, it's going to be number 13. I feel it. And then it happened. So we just had a lot of awe going on all at once, you know, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. Well, um, the, you know, obviously the biggest race in the world is on Saturday. And do you, have you talked to your trainer? Do you have any idea on how they plan to run it? Uh, to navigate from post position number 13? Well, you know, she just hopes he, he'll break from the gate fine. We're a, such a big horse that we don't worry about he'll make his way through. You know, we just want him to hold the pace, and then when he makes a final turn for home, we want him to, to pull through to the lead, and we just hope he's got enough in him to, to go that extra distance. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so my next question is a lot of uh, – information coming out about you guys getting a sponsor which is 3m tell us how that happened how did you get 3m a company that you used to work for how did you get them to sponsor your derby run oh it was just great it was um you know i really think it was just meant to be there's so many connections with the 3m and you know first of all everyone calls the horse 3m anyway uh, on our facebook page they refer to him as either 3m or MMM, or M3, or some people call them M-cubed. <laughs> they have a lot of <laughs> for them. So that was sort of a natural. And, you know, when people used to call them 3M in the beginning, I'd say, oh, no, I used to work for the 3M company. Now, that's Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. And so we would joke about that. And um, it got brought to my attention through Churchill Downs just last week that, that we could have a corporate sponsor. I wasn't aware of that. And so um, when we were notified of that, I said, wow, I, that's really interesting and that's right up my alley i love those kind of things i work in advertising so i thought hmm, maybe i could secure a corporate sponsor so um 
my husband said to me, well, why don't you contact the 3M company? You know, you used to work. It was my first employer out of college. I worked for them for a long time. I had a great relationship with them. I worked there from 1983 to 1997 when they sold off the division that I worked for. And so I, I knew people high up in the company, but I thought, oh, it would take a long time to kind of go through those channels. So I just called the 1-800-3M-HELPS phone line. <laughs> and it's, I thought to you myself... You did? You just called the general number? <laughs> I called 1-800-3M-HELPS. And it, awesome. I remember they launched that phone number back when I worked there, so it's been around a long time. And bless her heart, the sweetest lady answered the phone. She was doing a great job. And I'm thinking back how I sounded. I said, hi, you know, my name is Patty Reeves, and I used to work there, and I have this horse... <laughs> And he's going to be in the Kentucky Derby. Anyway, you know, I gave her the information. And she, and she didn't she hang typed, up on you? <laughs> she did not hang up. She was very polite. She typed it all down. And she said, thank you very much, and I'll get this to someone. And um, within two hours, I made contact with the director of corporate communications, a man named Jerry, who was absolutely wonderful. He immediately said, we love this horse. We've Googled it. We looked up your stats and everything. We love the horse. We love the story. And we definitely want to be a part of this. And it just, it just melt, you know, the, the whole thing between my pre- previous employment there, the, the horse actually has heritage back to the 3M Tartan Farms breeding in Florida. And it just, it, like it was just such a fit. So it worked yeah, out. And yeah, to- there are spots. They're our sponsor through the um, for all three races of the Triple Crown. And of course, oh they make a product that every horse person uses, and that's Vet Wrap. Did they send you about a million cases of Vet Wrap? Oh, they did. They're wonderful. They sent us uh, a lot of equine products, um, rundown patches, which I've been joking are under eye patches, <laughs> but um, rundown <laughs> patches, for, and all and the Vet Wrap or uh, all the different products that they make that pertain to the horse. And the neat thing too, when I told Kathy. She said, oh, I absolutely love their product. That's all I use on the horse. Absolutely. Oh, great. Oh, that's great. It's yeah. perfect. Perfect. So um, Rajiv, your jockey, is going to be wearing 3M, I guess, probably on his pant leg because it seems to be like that's where all of it, uh, all the advertisements go. So it, how much exactly does it cost to advertise on a jockey's pant leg for the derby? If you don't well, mind me asking. <laughs> well, I can't I can't disclose the terms of the arrangement, but it really it's bigger than that. It's more of a relationship that we have now going forward where um 3M will be a part of the horse. Um they will have their logo on the jockey pants. There's restrictions as to how big it can be and exactly where it can be placed and you have to comply with with those restrictions, but um the, it's it's a bright red. They have such a great logo too. You can see it a mile away. And with the name of the horse. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep. It's it's a great logo for that. So it's going to show up really well. And um, there's some of the 3M corporate executives will be coming into town, and they'll um, have some photo opportunities with the horse. And, of course, if we get to go to the winner's circle, they'll be right there with us. Oh, that's so cool. Wow, I was asking cool. I was asking because I was hoping that maybe Glenn could buy the other pant leg as the owner of the Horse Radio <laughs> Network. And we could do three M on one side and HRN on the other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> represent. We uh, unfortunately about- she said they're only allowed to have one corporate sponsor. So oh, yeah, there are exclusive it. sponsors. We, we don't have it. But we'll be happy to come on the radio show anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to the 
difficult to meet. There's usually celebrities, and I, I was like looking through and trying to see what celebrities were there last year, and it's like the Kardashians, some of the Backstreet Boys, Mario Lopez. So, are there any celebrities you know that are coming you're excited about? I don't know. Um, when we were fortunate enough to meet some of the inside people at Churchill Downs, that was one of my first questions: Who can I be on the lookout for? And uh, <laughs> I didn't get any information yet, but I'm, I'll just be. You know, my eyes will be wide open and I'll be looking and trying to see who I can see. Well, I got to tell you, when Mucho Macho Man comes across the finish line first, you'll be meeting them all. Oh, well, thank you. You know, my <laughs> husband, even, he said to me this morning, just remember, honey, it's just been our goal to get here. And we're living the dream just by being here every day. So we're just you know, sweetheart. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's the interview we did with Patty Reeves. There were a couple more minutes of that. You can go back and uh, take a listen if you want to hear the past interview. Can I say that uh, our sound used to suck, Jamie? Um, it, it used to be really bad, i got to say. And we're going to play a little bit here. I have a piece of that Kentucky Derby and what happened at the end. Ready for the start. They're off at the Kentucky Derby. And sold out at a great start, but it's coming to the top. Who goes out to the front, and there goes Shackleford to the outside. And Pants on Fire settles in right behind them. Decisive moment is down at the rail. Soldat is right there to the outside. So it's going to be Shackleford. And Shackleford's going to make the lead in that mad rush to the first turn. Pama to the top on the inside second. Soldat is right there running in third position. Pants on Fire fourth. Decisive moment rides the rail in fifth. Nero is sixth on the far outside. He's pretty close. He's only five lengths off the lead. Then stay third. The Mucho Macho Man between horses. They're into the stretch, and it's Shackleford with the rail and Nero on the outside. These two Animal Kingdom roaring down the center of the track. Here comes Animal Kingdom in the middle of the racetrack to Bradley, and then it's Nero and Shackleford, but it's Animal Kingdom and John Velasquez to win the Derby. And then it was Nero. Well, of course, Mucho Macho Man did not win that particular race, but went on to win many more. So, uh, Third place, though. That's not bad. No, and the Reeves came on many more times, too. So we really appreciate them, and they've re- uh, we've been friends with them ever since. So they're, they're very nice people. We're going to get uh, Dawn Deems on here for the annual trivia oh, challenge. And while we're doing that, there was another race that, you know, that some sad things happened after the race. But there was a song written about it, too, and I wanted to play that next. And, of course, we're talking about Barbaro in 2006. I had the end of the Barbaro race, and then Templeton Thompson wrote a song when they commemorated the statue, which I think is at the park, right? Is that the Churchill Downs? Uh, when they commemorated the statue, she wrote a song called I Love to Run, and it was played at the commemoration of the statue for Barbaro. So let's take a listen to that. Run as they run the far turn. There goes Sinister Minister. Three quarters in ten and four, and it's Sinister Minister. And here comes Barbaro. The undefeated Barbaro comes up on the outside, and he takes the lead as the field turns for home and the Kentucky Derby. Barbaro turns it on, and his stablemate showing up is second. Bluegrass Cat is third. Brother Derek putting in a late run on the far outside. Steppenwolf is fifth, 
as Sweet Northern Saints sits toward the rail, but they're coming to the finish, and it is all Barbaro in a sublime performance. He runs away from them all, and he has saved something left for the Preakness. Barbaro wins by seven.
Well, that was Templeton Thompson with I Love to Run. You can find all her music at templetonthompson.com. And, of course, that was about Barbaro. Well, we have Dawn Deems on here, who is one of our very favorite listeners and a big, 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 big fan of racing. Hi, Dawn. Hello. Happy Derby. Happy Derby. So good to have you back. Well, thank you. And I know you so looking forward to this challenge with Jamie every year. It's like I have to drag both of you into the room, put the <laughs> boxing gloves on, and let you go at it because uh, well, I, I hear we're in trouble. I was listening earlier. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> Jennifer made the questions, and I'm looking at them, and pretty much you guys are screwed. So, oh, uh, great. <laughs> Dawn, next year we're going to quiz Jen. <laughs> there you go. I must really love you guys for coming on every year. <laughs> Like, oh. <laughs> but you're the only one that will come on and play. So. <laughs> and I have new sounds this year, too. And uh, Jennifer, do we have you back, by the way? I know we lost you for there for a minute. Uh, I am back. Okay, good. Uh, turn your volume down just a bit. So I have new sounds for this year because I was getting sick of the old high school basketball buzzer uh, for when uh, you have the wrong answer. So I have a new one this year. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's peaceful. Yeah, that's better. That's much it? better. And then if you get the answer correct, I thought I would go subtle. So just cheering for the correct answer and the foghorn for the wrong answer. God, I love, I love that one. All right, so uh, this is how it's going to work. Jennifer's going to ask the questions, and she we got five each for you guys, all about the Derby, and uh, sometimes multiple choice, sometimes not. But Jennifer, ask away. Who goes first? So it's one per person, not not yes, helping correct. each other. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 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 Who, who's going to go first? How about okay, Dawn? Just, guests first. Da- guests first. All right, Dawn. Your first question. Are you ready? Oh, I guess. <laughs> okay. Which on which horse did Calvin Burrell not win the Derby? Which horse did he not win the Derby on? Mind that bird, Super Saver, or Street Cry? Street Cry. Oh, that's correct. You have to hit the button. Right? Well, I can't find the question. I was looking around for the question. You have. I thought you were doing them in order. <laughs> I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Street cry. He did not win the Derby on street cry. Okay. I'm ready. One to nothing. (laughs) You're losing already, Jamie. (laughs) Story of my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jamie, your first question. Len, this is going to be in the second section down to give you you help finding it. (laughs) The founder of the Kentucky Derby, Colonel Meriwether Lewis Clark. How did the founder of the Kentucky Derby die? What the hell? This is a horse <laughs> racing history. It is. He was the founder of the Kentucky Derby. I would say he died of dysentery. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good guess, though. I Poor played a Oregon Trail. Suicide. Yeah. You know what? That was actually what I was going to say. That's great. <laughs> He committed so Jamie, suicide like 12 days before the 25th running. So he started the thing. Apparently things weren't going well at that point. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> still one to nothing. One Dawn. to nothing. Back to Dawn. Are you ready, Dawn? Yes. All righty. True or false? Mike's jockey Mike Smith 
lost the race for his Mount Giacomo every time. Wait, sorry, go ahead. By misjudging the finish and pulling up too soon. It's got to be true. Oh, did you say false, Don? (laughs) Jamie, you're screwing me up here. Did you say false, Don? Yes, yes, sorry. That did actually happen in the Kentucky Derby, but it was in 1957 with Bill Shoemaker and Gallant Gallant Mann. I bet it was on Zenyatta. (laughs) (laughs) The Breeders' Cup Classic. Second time. I learned something early on when I started working with Jamie is don't ever get her pissed at you because she (laughs) never, ever forgets. Ever. Chad, poor Chad. If he ever does anything wrong, he is going to have to live with that for 50 years. Uh No, because he's dead to me. Don't (laughs) cheat on me. All right, two to nothing. It's uh, Jamie's up. All right, Jamie, your third question, your second question. The fee to run in the Kentucky Derby in 1913 was? Jeez Louise. (laughs) Well, this is multiple choice. Okay. Was it $25, $100, $500, or $2,500? Wow. Oh, my sound's not working. (laughs) Jamie gets one. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> Good job. Two to one with Dawn in the lead. Dawn in the lead. Round three. Here we go. Are you ready, Dawn? Yes. All righty. Who produced more Kentucky Derby winners? Calumet Farm or Claiborne Farm? Calumet. Okay, Jennifer, you're going out of order here. I can't find the question. It's in the third section, Glenn. Thank you. (laughs) Hit the correct answer button, Glenn. Oh, okay. There we go. Yay! (laughs) Bonus points with how many many, uh, champions did Calumet produce? Oh, my gosh. Six? I don't know. Eight. 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 You know, if there's one farm in Kentucky that I wish they would put open up for tours and put on display, it would be Calumet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I wish they would do All that right. someday. Next question. Dream on, Glenn. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Dawn gets a goose egg on that. That's her first one she doesn't get. Ooh. Is no, her rain over? No, she got it right. She, she, it. Just, she just missed didn't the, get the bonus. bonus. Oh, she didn't get the bonus point. So yeah. she's, she's undefeated Three in to round one. Three rounds. Which section? All righty. Tell me that first. This is going to be in the uh, second section. Okay. All right. My old Kentucky home is the song played when the horses are led to the field at the Kentucky Derby. It has been played by a college marching band since 1936. Name the college. It was University of Louisville. Oh, she gets it. Good job. Thanks for cheering for me there, Jen. (laughs) She got one. Yay. (laughs) I have two correct. Yes, you do. It's three to two. Despite your best efforts, Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a close race. Three to two. Are you ready? Dawn. Yep. 
All right. This one is going to be in section three. Was it Rosie Napravnik or Chantel Sutherland who rode pants on fire to his ninth place derby finish in 2011? Rosie Napravnik. Who, by the way, is a very good rider. I just. (laughs) (laughs) What a lovely girl. She's sweet. There we go. <laughs> All right. At the bottom of the fourth inning, it's Dawn to Dawn four, Jamie two. So let's see if she can be the bottom of the eighth. Sorry. <laughs> All right, Jamie. Uh, you're gonna do this one. This is the first and it's in the first section. Got it. What year was the track named Churchill Downs? And used for the Kentucky Derby. We was it? This. Was it? Go ahead. Was it 1875, 1883, or 1903? Wow, I was going to say none of those. Um, <laughs> uh, was 1875 a choice? No, it was not, right? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't name Churchill Downs Churchill Downs till 1883. God, it was way off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, last round. And Dawn, you're at four. You could have you could have all of them here. You could win. Have every question correct. I wish all we right. had a prize for you, but I wish we did. Yeah. I, what do I win? <laughs> I don't want to set a precedent because then you'll expect one next year. So her uh, prize is our eternal admiration. That's right. We will that's bow right. to you every time we see you. <laughs> all right. Are you ready, Dawn? Ready. Let's go. All right. This is in section two. What European monarch attended the Kentucky Derby in two thousand seven? Are you freaking kidding me oh. with this? <laughs> uh, Queen Elizabeth. Yes, she gets every question correct. Jamie, what European monarch attended in 1876? <laughs> <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, I'd probably be right. Go ahead. What's yeah, next? I think she's been around that long, actually. <laughs> All right, last one for Jamie to try and redeem herself and save some face here. All right. <laughs> Final question. Uh, she's let's pretty much name. looking like a loser at this point. I'm just saying. All right, Jimmy. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. Just I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, in 18, this is the first section. In 1892. The Kentucky Derby had the smallest field ever. How many horses ran? This is multiple choice. Was it three, nine, or 12? Oh, my. I wasn't going to say any of those. Um, I would go with, let's go with three. 
That's correct. I actually, Dawn I think, cheers for me. If we add the two, yeah. up, if, if we add the two up, you probably got more right answers than in the past five years we've done this. So I mean, <laughs> you did pretty. The good. funny, the funny part about the the three horses running in the field that two of the three were the same owner. <laughs> it wasn't a popular year for. And he lost. Racing, I guess. Did he win? <laughs> yeah, he lost. <laughs> Well, Dawn, while we have you on here, this will lead perfectly into tomorrow, where we're really going to take a look at this year's Derby. What do you think? Oh, my pick? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, see, I'm like Jamie. Last year, I didn't pick American Fair. Like, I try not to pick the favorite, and I love Nyquist, but I'm going with Exaggerator this year. Ooh, exaggerator. Mm, write that down. That's the two brothers. That's that's the, Keith DeSormo as the jockey. Yeah. And and Kent is the trainer. Sorry, Kent is the jockey Other and Keith right. is the trainer. Yeah. So she's she's yeah, that way. Whatever I said backwards. Um <laughs> the DeSormo brothers are the rider and trainers. So that's a good pick, but you're gonna lose. Um <laughs> yeah, last year we I think Don and I both picked Dortmund and um yeah. see that how that worked out. And I have I have successfully stalked Nyquist when I was at Keeneland and found his, he was sleeping, so he didn't get up or anything, but uh, I found his stall and I saw him sleeping. So I feel connected to him. Uh, he's kind of my, it's like I'm a part owner pretty much. Uh, so <laughs> let's stick with that. Maybe I'll box those two because I ain't going to make much money picking Nyquist, but you know. So when you right, saw right. Nyquist, was he laying down sleeping? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was laying down. Oh, okay. I don't oh. know what that means. That must mean something, you know? He's well-rested, Glenn. <laughs> That's what that means. He's ready to, to take on the world. He's tired, you know? He's just too tired. Actually, he is a lean horse. When you look at him, he, he is lean, and he doesn't look as, as, mus- as uh, big-boned as some of them do. Uh, one of the things I thought about him. I don't know what you Quick saw him Quick turn of foot, Glenn. Quick turn of foot. He's ready to go. <laughs> I don't know. You've you got to see him laying sleeping. down. So uh, does he sleep well? Does he snore? Nyquist? He was just kind of chilling. He uh, was in his very comfy straw stall. Yeah, he was three pretty feet happy. of straw bedding. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, Dawn, we're going to do our official uh, call for picks tomorrow on the Facebook page. Please do pick your uh, trifecta for us. And okay. we'll see yeah. who gets the closest on Monday. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for playing again. And congratulations on being the big winner. You win <laughs> absolutely nothing. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dawn. Bye, Dawn. Fun, you guys. Right. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Mental note, write questions for some sort of thing for Jennifer. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, another mental note, please have a prize for Dawn next year because she's been doing this for <laughs> five years without a prize. So one of these years I'll actually get organized to get her one. Thanks, Dawn. You're a trooper. We appreciate it. And she did very well, but you, you sucked pretty much at this. I'm just saying. Okay, can we end this show at 732 here? <laughs> I've got to go. I know you have a baby to take care of and things to do. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about this year's Kentucky Derby's Jamie's favorite day of the year. And we'll be back for that. Yay! Thanks, everybody. Spain or Guild, everybody have a good one. Mm-hmm.